welcome to a very special episode of Cutscenes and Cupcakes. This is the podcast where we talk about video games and rate them in desserts and other things. Um, my name is Marley. I'm Seth. I'm Lindsay. And we and... have a super oh. special guest. <laughs> and I'm Adrian. Yay! 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 So we're going to be doing a fun episode. I mean, it's kind of a like heavy topic, so I don't know. If fun is the most opportune word, but it will be a good a good uh, episode and an interesting episode. We wanted to talk to Adrian, who's done um, some research on gaming and autism, and kind of relate that back to us when we're all in not that we um, are comparing what we're going through with. Um, people on the autism spectrum, but with what we're going through in isolation and quarantine um, and just how gaming is can be a healthy coping mechanisms and the ways that it is. So we're going to dive deeper into that. But before we do, I think we're going to do some not a sponsors. Yes, I think we should do um guest first. Okay. So my not a sponsor is Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. <gasps> I've seen that. It's so good. Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington kill it. The plot line is phenomenal. I just watched the last episode. It's It's a limited series of eight episodes. When I saw that it was only eight episodes, I was devastated. Um, I would really like to read the book, even though I kind of already know the plot line. I'm sure the book is even better than the show because that's usually how it is. But the show is so well (laughs) done. So well done. So I really hope that they continue to have more seasons. And that is, that's my uh, not a sponsor. Yeah, I hear they leave it on like cliffhangers. I haven't finished. I think I have two episodes left, but they leave like questions not answered and cliffhangers. So. Oh, yeah. No, I, I finished it too. And there was like, there were so many cliffhangers. And I was like, no, this isn't the end. But at the same time, it was like, it was still very like final though. Like it was very like, yeah, it could end here or there could be more. But no, I, yeah, I, I really liked that show too. It was different. It was not what I was expecting at all. Well, and so many um, TV shows right now that are based on books are going past what they're, where the book ends. Like Handmaid's Tale, Reese Witherspoon even did that when she did Big Little Wise. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I could totally see them doing a second season um, that isn't necessarily part of the book. So I hope they do. Yeah, Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon's like can powerhouses. I agree. Oh, and Joshua Jackson for you, Lindsay. Oh. He's an older white collar gentleman. Don Oh yeah. Well, and I like that it's set in the nineties too. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different than any other like drama show out there, you know, cause yeah. a lot of them are set like nowadays, current time. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's refreshing to kind of see a little, even though the nineties were not that long ago, it's still like <laughs> refreshing. I thought. Now it'd be like <laughs> considered old school for like some of our younger listeners. <laughs> They're like, what? I was born in 2002. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> I was alive when the Twin Towers were still up. Like, that's no. crazy to me. And I think, too, like some of the drama that goes down, it would be a different plot point if they had cell phones. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, when she was like doing her research on her big like brick computer with a microscope, I was like, damn, that is old school. So good. <laughs> Uh, my not a sponsor is also a TV show. It's 
trash, but it's so good. Yay! Uh, too hot to handle. Yeah! <laughs> it's like the perfect quarantine smut. <laughs> you don't really like a ton of the people, so it's okay when they bad things happen to them. <laughs> but like you like them enough that you're also okay when good things happen to them. <laughs> like did I don't you finish know. it? Just oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did finish it. It is ridiculous. And they like this is a little bit of a spoiler. They have to split their money, all ten of them at the end, so they all end up making like seven grand or something, which kind of sucks. But before taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. It's, it, that's really not that much. But, but they also yeah. got a month on a island alone, and now food. they're all going to be like social media influencers and get so much more money out yeah. of it oh, just so by true. having like, the like blue check mark being verified. You make know, their head explode even more. <laughs> yeah, that is also a show that I binged this week. I felt like I watched a lot of TV after after Too Hot to Handle. I caught up on Little Fires Everywhere, and I watched Big Little Eyes. So all of these TV shows you guys I are talking about. Marley, Check. and I'm like, you need to watch Too Hot to Handle so I can talk to you. And then later that day, she's like, I'm accidentally on like episode seven. <laughs> 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 so it really is it's just an easy one like it's definitely a phone tv show where you can be on your phone hear the stupid shit people say and still feel like you're involved but not have to be involved involved it's so dumb it's so good oh man well to keep up with this tv trend i'm gonna go next uh because my not a sponsor is a uh, fun little TV show called Community. Oh, did, Community. Did we already do this one as a not a sponsor recently, or am I just like crazy? It's possible. I, think I did recently, actually. <laughs> oh. We've been watching Community too. Well, I you know, we're gonna have you guys seen it before it was on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes. Love, but going love, love, back love. and watching it, I'm like, have I seen this episode? Like did oh, this yeah. happen the first time around? <laughs> oh yeah no this this show recently came on netflix and i mean i i have all of the like i have all the episodes um like digitally otherwise but this has been like the first time i've actually like gone back and really watched it in order and not just like gone in like oh hey i want to watch the paintball episode or i want to pick this halloween one or you know just some of the kind of fun crazy iconic ones and so, it, yeah, like Steph said, it's kind of fun to be like, have I seen this episode? Like, what? But yeah, this show, it's a really good one. It's its lighthearted and, and it's fun. It, it's also kind of a phone show as well, where you can kind of just like be on your phone or maybe clean or just like do something else around the house if you just want to have some background. Um, but it's also just a really good show and it's so funny. So my not a sponsor is a little different than a TV show or a book or anything like that. Um, mine's a little heavier. <laughs> Let's hear it. So I hate when I do these abstract ones because it's just like never. <laughs> but it's it seriously is the highlight of my week. That's what's going to be. Um, you always do kind of more abstract, more personal things. And Marley and I are like, this book, this podcast. Well, I'm jealous because I I don't have the time that you guys do like recently to watch smutty TV and I miss it, (laughs) but um, (laughs) it might be a good thing for me. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Our essential worker over here. My my not a sponsor is actually the clients at my job. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, as some of you know, I work at a recovery center, um, with addicts and, um, even people who aren't addicts, but have like serious mental illness and, um, stuff like that. And it is so beautiful to see these people change their lives over the course of just like a month of knowing them. And, um, I had two new clients come in the yesterday and they, we both had these like epic long conversations, which I usually don't allow. Like usually <laughs> I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, leave me alone. I'm cooking, you know, but, um, it turned out that like <laughs> we could talk and I wasn't too busy and, it was just really amazing to hear like what motivated them to check themselves in and how they're, you know, they're struggling, but they're planning on things being better and like how, you know, they had so much hope and it was just beautiful. Like it made me realize I really do love this population in this community of recovery and I'm in the right job. And, you know, it was just like very reassuring after kind of a difficult week so, um, yeah, that's my not a sponsor is Aww. my clients and recovery in general. And just like, as a side note, if any of you guys are in recovery, like, please DM me like, um, or just like talk to Facebook and Stephanie and Marley will tell me that the message is there and I'll respond. We'll relay um, the message. Yeah. Because when I, our worst social media or. I'm the worst at it. I'm so bad. <laughs> but, um, which is funny because I used to do it for a living, but not anymore. <laughs> but yeah, no, like I, if it's ever anything you guys want to talk about, I'm here for you as well. But yeah, that's why not a sponsor. No, I think that's great, Lindsay, because, you know, especially with a job like that, there's, you know, it's, it's very heavy. It's very serious and, and it can be overwhelming. So it's, it's nice to be reminded of why you're doing it, you know, and why you're there. And I think, I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, especially, especially because work has been, um, kind of a struggle for you lately. So like, just to be like reminded of that and find something positive about it. I think, I think that's awesome. You know, it, it yeah. It's so like refreshing to have that purpose renewed. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll be honest, like before I started working as a cook, I had a lot of bad experiences with um, working in addiction treatment. And it was grim for a while there. Like I, you know, I had to deal with like an overdose situation. I had to deal with all kinds of stuff and all the ugly side of it. And so to have that kind of re reaffirmed that like, oh, like there are people who make it out of this really difficult situation well, you know, like <laughs> without too much, you know, bumps along the way and stuff like that. Like it's amazing. So yeah, good. Awesome. Not a sponsor. Now let's get to our topic, <laughs> which is not that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a good tie in. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. totally is. Mm-hmm. So we know Adrian, um, you, how, how did we meet actually? Like, I think it was mostly through Stephanie and Marley, because again, I am not the social media person, but we meet with, Re um, Adrian regularly through Lady Pod Squad. Yes. Is that so, how we'll, like group. 
Yeah. So actually, this is kind of crazy. So when I started my Instagram for my podcast, you know, when you first start a podcast, you're trying to connect with all these other podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so I was mostly connecting with other podcasts that were in the same industry as me talking about the same types of topics. But then I think I somehow found cutscenes and cupcakes and one of you posted a box of crumble cookies and put the... <laughs> that sounds like us. You put, <laughs> you That's put on the, brand. <laughs> yeah, you put the Salt Lake City geotag on your post. So I was already following you and didn't realize that you were in Salt Lake City until I saw that post. Oh, yeah. Oh. I remember and then, that. And then you messaged I, us. I messaged. I DM'd you and I said, hey... I am also in Salt Lake City. I just started a podcast. I would love to get to know you. And then, you know, I met with Brooke and Maeve in January of last year. And then you guys, Stephanie came to the February meetup. Mm -hmm. And then I met Marley and Lindsay, I think, at the March meetup. Yes. So it's been yes. over it's a been year. year. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which is Which really is exciting. Awesome. We've met some really amazing people through our Salt Lake Lady, Lady Pod Squad group. Mm -hmm. We're kind of the rebels of the Lady Pod Squad. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I love it. Tagged now, Liz. <laughs> we got. I mean, we got a little bit of not grief from them, but anyway, we are the rebels of the we Salt Lake Pod Squad community, or of the Pod Squad community. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank uh, you for the introduction, yes, Lindsay. Let's let Adrian introduce herself. <laughs> it was more of a lead-in than that an was introduction. That's great. great. I appreciate it. You. <laughs> uh, so, my name is Adrian White. I am the host of She's So Cool. It's a female empowerment podcast. It originally started as a narrative-based show where I told the life stories of strong and influential women, and then slowly transitioned into an interview-based show where I interview women who are pursuing their passions in life. So I've interviewed a variety of people doing a variety of things. Uh, I interviewed Ashley Flowers of Crime Junkie Podcast. I've interviewed... Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm, I, I've interviewed a variety of women who have essentially left their nine to five jobs in pursuit of their dreams and their passions. So that's really where I'm at now. And I'm actually going to start putting out some solo shows where I talk about confidence and imposter syndrome and, you know, a variety of topics that often impact women. So that's me. Yeah, it's her pod. Go back and listen to some of the older episodes. I mean, listen to the new ones, too. Yeah, so the older episodes as well. She's so cool. She goes over so many women that like, um, like Yoko Ono was a huge one. I'm like, we all kind of know who Yoko is. But like getting to know her a little bit more was very interesting, um, especially to see women who we often see through a male lens in mm -hmm. more of a be able to see her story. Um, it's very impactful and yeah. interesting, which is why um, one of the reasons we wanted to have her on um, our show is because she in her podcast, she is really good at using what she's learned to then apply it to our lives. And she has done some research that she's going to also go over that she can then, uh, we can then use to apply to our lives, which I think will be very helpful to us in this time of weirdness, isolation, isolation quarantine, and, yeah. weirdness. Like, come on, it's, it's hella weird. They're going to write about this in textbooks. 
And our kids are going to ask us about it. And we'll be like, we were just sending memes to each other. It's fine. <laughs> Watching shitty TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's let Adrian um, talk a little bit about some of the research she did. Sure, and sure. So I'm going to give just a little bit of context as well, some background. Okay. Uh, so, sorry, I just, just no, so I they kind of know. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying you didn't. I'm just saying before I dive into the research, I do want to give some context of how this all came about. So in 2016, I went to graduate school to pursue my master's degree in therapeutic recreation. So I am a certified and licensed recreation therapist. While I was in graduate school, I had a research assistantship and I worked with two different professors to conduct research for the university. So one of the professors I worked for had previously worked at Penn, Penn State yeah, he had previously worked at Penn State and collected some data that he hadn't analyzed yet. And so I expressed interest in, you know, analyzing the data with him as a way to kind of get my foot in the door as far as conducting research. So it was really nice that the first study I ever worked on, the data had already been collected. Yes. So the topic <laughs> of that research that he had already conducted was autism and video games. So before I jump into everything, I do want to kind of talk about autism in case people aren't aware. People with autism spectrum disorder uh, experience a wide range of behavioral and social functioning. And I think now is a really good time to talk about person first language. So oftentimes you might hear people say like, he's autistic or she's autistic. And in terms of political correctness that is not the proper way to talk about someone. So it's a person with autism or a person with depression or a person who experiences addiction or you're putting the person first and and their diagnosis second and you're not defining the person based off of what it is that they have been diagnosed with. So that's something that I'm really passionate about and making sure that we're talking about people with Down syndrome, people with instead of identifying that person by their diagnosis first. I like that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I've already like fucked up by talking <laughs> about like my clients, but um, that's okay. You know, we, it's, we all learn. And exactly. I'm really glad you took that opportunity to like get us off on the right foot here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the thing is, is I made that mistake for years and years and years until I learned person first language too. So we all learn person first language. And then, you know, once we know that that is when it becomes whether it's appropriate or not appropriate, if you're using proper language once, once you have that knowledge. So don't even feel bad about it. Like we're all guilty of it until we know better. <laughs> well, it's really humanizing because we all have our own shit. So it's nice, like everyone does. And mm -hmm. we're all people who are dealing with whatever com is coming at us. So absolutely. So I do want to talk a little bit more about autism and kind of how it manifests. So people with autism usually have difficulty with three different things, and they can have one or all three manifest. So they have difficulty with social interaction and communication, which is the one that we're most uh, used to as far as mainstream culture is concerned. Then people with autism sometimes have difficulty with sensory processing. And then they also can have difficulty with restrictive and repetitive behaviors. So <laughs> I've presented on this on this research several times. And so as I was looking through my slides, I saw one that I 
felt was really important, especially if people from your audience aren't familiar with autism, which is like the public health significance. Like, why does this research matter? So autism impacts one in 68 children in the United States. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's It's a a lot. lot. More than I thought. Yeah. So, and the thing is, 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 uh, you know, children are being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder a lot more than they used to. And most of that can be attributed to the fact that we have more knowledge about it. And so we are better equipped to provide that diagnosis. So with the public health significance of knowing how many people are impacted by autism, there's also statistics that say 65% of households in the United States are home to at least one person who plays three or more hours of video games per week. So if we have one in 68 kids with autism and 65% of homes have people playing video games. I mean, both are prevalent, right? So Mm -hmm. people with autism are relatively prevalent in our society and so are video games. So I'm going to kind of dive into that first study where uh, the professor had already collected the data. And this is essentially uh, comparing children with autism to children without autism between the ages of eight and 12. So when I analyzed the data, essentially what I found was children with autism play more than two times the number of hours per week than typically their typically developing peers, more than twice the amount. So that adds up to an entire two weeks more per year if you wow. count a whole day of 24 hours. Oh, wow. I know. Isn't that insane? Mm-hmm. So I also had the ability to... Um, take their genre preferences and analyze the differences between children with and without autism. So I wanted to share this with you. So children with autism are more likely to play action and adventure games as well as simulation games, whereas typically developing peers are more likely to play sports games. Do either, does any of that surprise you? No. uh, When was this research done? So I was, that was in 2016 when I analyzed the data. I think he had collected it probably in 2014 or so. So the data is relatively old, but also not that old, um, depending on like, you know, (laughs) perspective. Uh, But what, what I think is really interesting as far as being able to allow children with autism to connect with their typically developing peers are the genres that they actually have in common. So they equally like racing games, role-playing games, shooter games, and strategy games, and multiplayer uh, MMOs. Okay. So when I worked with a student one-on-one prior to going to graduate school, he had autism and we would invite his typically developing peers to like a lunch bunch. And we would use video games as our tool to facilitate social interaction between them. And it was highly successful. That's awesome. It really is. So if if someone is working with a child with autism or they have a child with autism, they can actually use those genres to help bring those two groups of children together and facilitate really, you know, authentic relationships. Well, and I think it's really interesting because so many um, games have, 
either text communication or like audio communication. And so humans who want to judge each other on how they look or and if uh, someone is presenting as with a person as autistic, then you like I think it's a really good opportunity to kind of breach that gap, especially if you're playing online um, and which is like fortunate. It's unfortunate that that's necessary, but fortunate that that gives an opportunity for neurotypical people and um, people with autism to yeah, come together past that, which is it's cool. It's very cool. And, I mean, and it kind of it kind of takes away a little bit of the bias yeah. too. Mm-hmm. The same can be said. A lot of people cross the continent, like cross countries, can come together. Cross cultures can come together and play together without some of the same biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll kind of talk about that once I get to study two. And this is the last thing I wanted to share from the first study: is the gameplay preferences. And and there's really no surprise here that. Uh, these the children with autism much preferred to play single player games, whereas they're, they're typically developing peers preferred to play multiplayer games, okay. and that 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 makes sense, um, mm-hmm. especially if you look at the their genre preferences. So again, uh, children with autism preferred to play action and adventure games and simulation games, whereas their typically developing peers like to play sports games, and so those are inherently single player and multiplayer games, respectively. <laughs> I think we forget that sports games exist because none of us like to play that. <laughs> it's bro funny. games. We call those bro games, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so funny. Uh, my husband and I were walking around our neighborhood yesterday and there was this guy yelling. He was just yelling and yelling. And I was like, but I could tell it was like a more playful yelling than like an aggressive, like, you know, abusive sounding yelling. Um, and he was like, I hate everyone. And then he was just like screaming and screaming and he was talking. And my husband was like, I think he's playing FIFA and he's screaming at the TV. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I mean, I've had those moments. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah. I know you're a big soccer player, Lindsay. Not in FIFA, but in like Red Dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So essentially the findings that I that I found from that first study, just from analyzing that data, is like, okay, why is it that people with autism play so much more than their typically developing peers? So to to get some more insights on that, I conducted a qualitative study. So qualitative is like interviews. So I had a semi-structured interview guide. I interviewed 10 adults from across the United States. They, um, let me pull up their demographics. Uh, They were ranging between 18 and 31 years old. I had six males and four females. Um, four of them were employed, three of them were students, two of them were employed students, and one of them was unemployed. So uh, I feel like it was a really diverse representation of people with autism. Mm -hmm. And really the reason for the study was to identify the motivations for video game play for people with autism who are, because, you know, the motivation is virtually unknown. Like we know that video games are fun, but I think you know, had to believe that there had to be more than just fun below the surface if they're dedicating so much time to playing these games. Mm. So um, 
you know, I wanted to identify a wide range of factors that influence that motivation and then kind of dig deeper into the characteristics of the games that influence their motivation. Um, So I talked to them about what games they played, the things that they liked. I had this chart and I had them essentially rank things and... We'll talk a little bit more about the findings, but really it was about motivation and the characteristics within the games that um, made them motivated to like continually play games. So, you know, I want to tell you a little bit more about what was previously known prior to me conducting these interviews. So we knew that, you know, video games were primarily played for entertainment and for fun, like I said earlier, and that individuals with autism spend significantly more time playing video games than their typically developing peers, which is something, again, I also shared with you. Um, But I learned through research and through reading um, other peer-reviewed articles that people with autism spend more time playing video games than they spend doing other non-screen activities, essentially saying this is their primary form of leisure. So the purpose of the study was to gain insight on the importance of video games to frequent players with autism spectrum disorder. Do you guys have any questions before I like dive into like the theories behind the study? It's making sense to me so far. Okay, great. Awesome. So essentially what I did is I spoke with all 10 of these individuals for about 90 minutes and then I had to um, essentially type up all of all I just transcribe all of the interviews, which was oh, very good. Yeah. And then I had to read through all of the interviews and find themes across all 10 interviews. And that took an entire semester. Um, <laughs> and essentially what I found and I took those themes and essentially found a theory to back up what I found. So I use self-determination theory, which is a macro theory of human motivation that states people should have three basic psychological needs met to achieve personal growth. So those, those three components, those three needs, the first one is relatedness. So one's ability to interact and connect with others. The second is autonomy which is the perception that one is in control of his or her own behavior. And the third one is competence. One's desire to master the skills to accomplish a task. So now that you know those three components, I did want to ask you, how do you three see these components in your own video game play? I'll let you guys talk about relatedness and then I'll go on to the second one. Do you see yourself experiencing this, this need, like, meeting this need of relatedness through your video games. I mean, all three of you went to high school together, right? Mm -hmm. And if you guys didn't all play video games, would you still be as close as you are? Would you have started a podcast? So really (laughs) what I want to know is like how these three components impact you and your own video game play outside of the topic of autism. Like how do you interact and connect with others through video games or how do video games allow you to relate to others in your life? The first thing that comes to mind to me is just how it was back in the good old days before we could afford strategy guides or anything like that. And we would go 
to school and get information from peers about like, oh, did you see this boss level? Have you gotten to this yet? Where, you know, where are you in the game? Oh, did you know about this secret area? Did you know this? And we would just exchange information like that. And through that, we would bond. You know, there was, I had a bully actually in high or in elementary school. And we both found out we were huge Zelda fans. And um, we started passing notes back and forth to each other about like, oh, you know, like pop quiz. What are the three forms of Majora in Majora's Mask, you know, and things like that. And like crazy, stupid pop quizzes like that. And like we were not friends, but we like we could relate, you know, and we were entertained by that and we were you know stimulated by that conversation you know together it was really cool and then Lindsay, you know, oh sorry no go ahead go ahead. i was just gonna say that like gave me goosebumps it like made me tear up a little bit <laughs> seriously i'm always i'm always blown away by what a cute little um subculture gaming is uh like i, I think a lot about like if I saw a sports ball player out in the wild, I probably wouldn't know who they are. <laughs> and the same thing, like I know my husband and Marley and our friend Brian met a voice actor for God of War and lost their shit where like no one would know who that is typically. But it's just such a really like it's a cool thing. So I, I like it's a fun subculture and it's like anything else. Like when you know someone likes the same thing you you do you get very excited to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. And I think too, like it's, it's a great way to start and, you know, create friendships because you find that a person, some person out there is interested in the same video game. Maybe it's like an online game and like, cause Lindsay and I, I mean, we've, we've done this now with, with several different people that we've come across because we, we play Red Dead Online quite a bit, as we've mentioned before, and Steph's played with us several times, which has been, it's been so much fun. We we love it when Steph joins us. It's like you know, I'm to join you guys more. A little bit. But, <laughs> but you know, we, we come across these different people who, who do, pl who play a little bit more often too. And we kind of, we're just like, hey, join our posse, like play with us. Like, hey, we're going to play tomorrow night. Like, just hop online and join it. And like automatically, like they're part of the group, you know? So we, we definitely try to like find, um, you know, it's, it's way fun to find those people. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're friends, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's so much fun. That's well, definitely happened recently to me too. Like in a more modern, um, example with animal crossing, mm. like people are connecting across the world. Like, yeah. You know, most recently I saw an article about how a girl had Elijah Wood come to her island and oh, yeah. how, you know, how polite he was. But like, there's this relatability between, you know, like a camaraderie even between players of the same game who are like, oh, I'll trade with you. Oh, I'll tell you where to find this. Oh, I'll tell you this, you know, things like that. When um, recently on Final Fantasy 14, uh, one of a player part of a community it's not my community but it's uh died of COVID-19 mm -hmm. and his friends on Final Fantasy threw him a funeral oh which, yeah like it's it's like I was oh. reading that it kind of made me tear like it just is it's very I'm sweet. crying and right on now Final Fantasy 
Yeah. And right now we can't even like have funerals. Like my great, great aunt or something died and they, um, they live streamed her funeral, but like, it's kind of, it's really cool to see how that crosses over with like what's going on now with gaming and what is happening now in real Like it, I think a lot of people want to discredit gaming and gamers, but there's stuff like that where they're having a funeral for their friends who died. That is just, it's very touching. Absolutely. And I, so that's the thing is, you know, uh, with this research, it's my hope that people who are outside of gaming, I mean, I'm, I'm outside of gaming and I think that there are so many positives to, you know, this leisure activity. Um, I did want to share a couple quotes from the relatedness category before we move on to the next one from the people that I interviewed. So uh, this is a 21-year-old male who is employed. He said, seeing how people are social in games kind of gives me a good idea of how social life is supposed to function. Mm-hmm. And then a 25-year-old female student said, that was essentially how I made friends, especially as a kid, and how I learned to interact with people, interact with people. Mm-hmm. So essentially, these people that I interviewed said, you know, until I found gaming, I didn't have friends. I didn't know how to react, like interact with people. And it was through games that I was able to learn those skills, which is amazing. That's yeah, beautiful. that's awesome. Yeah. So the second uh, basic need of the self-determination theory is autonomy. It's the perception that one is in control of his or her own behavior. So how have you guys seen that within your own gameplay? If you want me to give quotes first, I can do that if that's helpful. So autonomy is the perception that one is in control of his or her own behavior. Mm -hmm. And so a 20-year-old male student said, video games allow me to sort of be who I want to be and not what people perceive or judge. They can only judge me based on what I have allowed to be judged. And a second quote from a 21-year-old employed male. In video games, I don't have to be me. I can be whoever I want to be. I mean, I I definitely see that with role-playing and like simulation type games because you create this character and you really, you can have them be whoever you want to be and look the way you want them to look and dress and all that. And it, it is, it's kind of fun too. Like there's definitely like the fantasy aspect with it and creativity as well to be able to be like, you know what, like sometimes, you know, in life, like you can't really, you know, change that much, but in a video game, you know, just depending on what your circumstances are, you know, I'm very, I'm generalizing quite a bit, but you know, in video games, you have like this whole open world of possibilities and you're just like, you know what, today I want to be this type of person and tomorrow I'm going to play like this person. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I think the creativity and choice is, I mean, it's very much there and I think it's awesome. I think there's so many people who are displeased with some of the aspects of themselves um, that it's nice to be able to take a guard down and not have to always be gearing up for whatever insult you think might be coming that you have become accustomed to. Like, I know like a lot of like, like big people, I think will have, have smaller avatars so that they don't have to deal uh, with whatever guard they have up because of that. I Mm. think it's a nice way to be not an, 
I think it's the way that people don't have can hide and not have to be worrying about what other people's perception of them is. Also, you can become badass and amazing and you don't have to always be, oh, that person with autism or, oh, that person who still lives in their parents' basement or whatever (laughs) might, might be attached with your person, which is really a perception of yourself and your own shortcomings. But it's nice to kind of take the that coat off sometimes and not have that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Marley and Lindsay spend so much time shopping in Red Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because they don't. <laughs> Maybe because we don't dress well. Is that what you want to say? Yeah, Stephanie, what are you saying? <laughs> Be very Every careful time with I your get on Red Dead, they're like, oh, I need to change my outfit. Oh, I no, need to get more clothes. <laughs> Lindsay, was there anything you wanted to say about it? And it's okay if you didn't, if, or um, if you don't. But I'm just kind of pondering it still. Yeah. Like I agree completely with what um, my co-host said, but I, you know, I I feel I feel like Stephanie had it pretty on the head too. Um, mm-hmm. With like, yeah, it's nice to take that coat off sometimes, and that re- that really resonated with me. Um, and it's. I kind of think of it as like a testing ground sometimes. Like sometimes I'll try something new in a game and then I'll find myself doing it later in life, which is kind of a strange concept, but it it is something I have done, you know? Yeah. And I can't tell you how often I think I might've heard that in almost every single interview I did, you know, people said that they would test out certain things on games you know, whether, you know, in social interactions, but, you know, whether they're trying to get a new skill or they finally beat that boss or they develop really meaningful relationships, at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, each person I talked to said that they were so incredibly confident in themselves as a result of what they did within their video games through that skill development, through the social interactions, through the community building. And they did transfer that confidence from their game to their real lives, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And like, it kind of gives you the confidence to do things like, I don't know, this is so strange, but, and something I honestly haven't developed my thoughts around very much, but like being productive in a game will make me want to be productive in real life. Like playing the Sims, for example, like I'll make my sim go run 20 miles, you know, and then like get that physical skill up and then go, you know, increase their charisma or something like that. And then I'll find myself wanting to do those things the next day. Um, you Which know, is or super that e- awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. That's great. So the third basic need of self-determination theory is competence, which is one's desire to master the skills to accomplish a task. So this one is the one that like resonated with me when you first talked about it, because when we first started gaming as friends, these guys would never let me play because <laughs> I couldn't walk and look in the same direction. Well, <laughs> like I had so many, so many issues doing two um, joysticks, joysticks at the same time. I, and I've gotten a lot better. I'm not perfect at it honestly, but (laughs) it really does make you feel good to (laughs) figure out a skill that you didn't have before. Um, (laughs) And now I, they do let me play sometimes. Um, 
they're still a little picky about it. You make us sound so mean. (laughs) (laughs) There were times where someone, I don't, there'd be a group of maybe five of us. So there's a half 50, 50 chance. It was Marley and Lindsay or they'd be like, (laughs) Oh, maybe Steph shouldn't play this part. (laughs) (laughs) Which would just make you want to do it more. Mm. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to deny that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But for, for me, I definitely like, I want to, I want to say like, even just in this last year and a half or so, since we started this podcast and have, you know, done a lot more gaming, you know, because of it. Um, I, I definitely feel like I've gotten so much better and I enjoy video. I I enjoy playing video games by myself more. Like before I would hate playing them by myself because I didn't understand what to do. I would just get frustrated and I'd give up and I'd only want to like play with friends. And, and even then, like when I was with friends, like I sometimes was like, you know what? I just want to watch. Like, I don't want to play. I'll just watch because I wasn't confident enough to play in front of people because I sucked so bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I I definitely feel like I've gotten a lot better and I feel more confident in my playing skills. And I've actually finished quite a few games on my own. And it, it, it makes you feel good, you know, to know that you you accomplish that and that you can accomplish that. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of tries and practice, but like you can get there if you want to you know, mm-hmm. and, and once you do, like, I mean, it, it feels really good. I think about like the puzzling, like puzzle games, especially give this to me where like, if I can figure out how a system works, like say an overcooked or something like that, or if I can figure out how to, you know, trigger the right switches and do the right things in the water temple or, you know, wherever it is, it, it does give me like this really good feeling of like, I can do this. Like I am smart and I, you know, I am a genius of overcooked <laughs> and I can figure out the perfect kitchen system to, you know, make it through this earthquake crazy land, you know, <laughs> where everything's on fire. It, but you know, I, don't, I love that game so much. <laughs> it's such a good game, <laughs> but yeah, like, I love games that have like very puzzly um, approaches. Like it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge, and when you beat it, you feel so you know, like empowered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'm just going to share a couple quotes from the competence category, and because people with autism often struggle with social interaction, the the task that I, or the skill that I, you know, focused on was social interaction and communication rather than like hard skills within a game. Mm -hmm. So a 20-year-old female student said, if I didn't get introduced to this online community, I don't think I would have had the confidence to make the friends I did in college. Oh, that's awesome. I know. And a 30-year-old employed male said, It's tough making those social connections, and a lot of times it's easier to do it over a computer than it is in person. So that's kind of wrapping up study two. Are you guys interested in study three? I know we've kind of, we've been talking for a while. Are you cool? I'm absolutely in. Okay. Anyone else? 
Yeah, yeah go for okay. it. Okay. Okay. So we can edit you out. <laughs> <laughs> the findings from study two laid the foundation for study three, which is a quantitative uh, study. So I took a uh, survey design class in, in grad school after I had conducted my qualitative study and developed this quantitative survey. I sent it out to um, adults with autism and adults without autism, but I'm only going to talk about the autism results because we ha- we never really uh, compared the two. Uh, the professor I was working with kind of stopped emailing me back. So, oh. <laughs> um, so call the dem- them out right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is because I'm a finisher and I'm really yeah. disappointed that we weren't able to finish this project. But I was able to analyze the data from the um, from the group with autism. So the demographics include 56 adults with autism spectrum disorder in the United States. They were ages 18 to 37. There were 35 males, 15 females, and six six identified as other. So the purpose of my study was to gain insight on how frequent video game play influences the lives of individuals with autism spectrum disorder. And then I, you know, want to compare that to a typically developing uh, control group. So Out of the individuals with autism, 48.2% of them said they always have difficulty with social interaction. So they're always dealing with that, 48.2%. 60.7% said they always have difficulty with social communication. So these are significant uh, statistics that will help us understand kind of the findings as we go on. So to uh, collect this information, I use two different scales. The first is the leisure motivation scale, which measures an individual's motivation for a certain type of leisure activity, in this case, video games. I also use the leisure satisfaction measure, which measures the degree to which an individual's needs are being satisfied as a result of their leisure involvement. And again, in this case, video games, their involvement in video games. So I wanted to share the findings for their motivation. And they're categorized into a few different categories that are based off of the scales. So as far as intellectually, people are playing video games to seek stimulation, use their imagination, and be creative. Do you guys have anything you want to say about that? I, I absolutely agree with them. Um, you know, like I love the creativity that I'm able to express in a lot of games. And I love, um, what was the last thing you said? It was. So seek stimulation, use imagination and be creative. Oh, use imagination for sure. I, yeah, that's the one I was referring to. Um, I, I, even games that don't have stories, all craft stories and backgrounds and, characters and stuff like that and I yeah well and I have a a friend who recently had a like a series of pretty bad panic attacks and he would use video games as a way to stimulate other parts of his like stimulate other parts of his brain and ground himself and calm himself down and I think that that is something a lot of us do when we are just high strung or wired we just need something to stimulate us differently and take away the edge that can come on from different problems and things going on in our lives. 
Well, and I think too, I mean, I, I do this quite a bit and I don't know, hopefully there's nothing wrong with me, but like, if I'm feeling like stressed or angry about something, like if I go play a game, especially like a game that is like a first person shooter of some sort, like I'd rather take it out on, like, I want to kind of channel that anger and away from like my normal life and like put it on people that are fake. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I don't know if that's totally messed up or whatever. But well, like, I don't think it's that you enjoy the killing. It's not that you enjoy the blood spatter or any of that. No, I think you enjoy the accomplishment, the feeling of I can do things. This is in my control. You know. Yeah. I think well, it's a completely different psychology than <laughs> you wanting to murder people. Yeah. Which- so there's actually. <laughs> I'm going to transition to the next. Um, type of findings, which Stephanie and Marley kind of both alluded to, which is the stimulus slash avoidance category. Mm -hmm. So people with autism are playing video games to relieve stress and tension, to relax mentally, and to avoid the hustle of life. So Mm -hmm. Stephanie and Marley both brought those up. And Lindsay, you also validated those feelings. So yeah, I think people don't realize that video games can play a huge part of stress relief, you know, uh, reduction in anxiety. Um, it used as a tool to relax mentally. You know, there is a fine line. There is, you know, a line where it is socially appropriate. And then some people go beyond that line and it turns into addiction or turns into, you know, they aren't, they're avoiding their problems so much that they aren't actually coping with them. So, you know, being able to identify where is that fine line and how can I make sure I don't go past it? Well, and I think like extreme feelings are, can be very scary. And so having an outlet like that is very, um, like even speaking to what Marla was saying about of like anger and not that, like I'll speak for myself. There are times when I get, when you get angry and it's natural response to like, fist your hands and just feel like you need some some sort of release and Mm -hmm. to do something like that where you can express yourself and not harm anyone is a health I think it's a healthy coping mechanism (laughs) so this topic is actually super close and personal to me um because I I struggle with um depression and anxiety to a very severe level sometimes. And I have gone into that, like I've crossed that fine line plenty of times where like (laughs) I've definitely been playing too much, but I think it's video games help me in a way that's like really unique in that if I have like a bad anxiety day or something, I can go do things in a game and I'll find myself slow. Like I'll pause. Like it's almost like I meditate for a minute and then a thought will come up and I'm like, Oh, okay, that triggered me. And like, I'll start to unpack things and process them in a much more comfortable environment than just sitting in my bed trying to be like, okay, what's wrong with me? You know, like cycling your thoughts over and over again. Yeah, on the same thing. yeah exactly. Yeah. And Lindsay, I really appreciate you being really honest and vulnerable and sharing that. And I think, you know, you said that you go past that line, but it also sounds like you don't in other ways, you know, when you feel like you're in that meditative state and you're reflecting and you're processing, like that is well before that fine line of addiction and negative, uh, you know, 
I don't think when you're in that meditative state, you've gone beyond that line. You know, mm-hmm. when you go beyond that line is when you're like neglecting your self-care, you're neglecting your, you know, very basic human needs, or you're neglecting other things in your life that definitely need your attention in exchange for video game play. Right. So it sounds like, you know, video games have served you really well um, at different times. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like what we, we've kind of talked about before, where, you know, we we like to be able to like go to this other world temporarily and just kind of like escape reality for a little bit and just be like, you know what, I'm going to go to this other world for a little bit and just kind of unwind and seek, you know, maybe some um, peace or even just like, you know what, like I just want to express myself creatively. So I'm going to go and like, like I haven't played Animal Crossing at all, but um, but I know a lot of people have been like creating these cute little outfits and things. Like they're just using, you know, their time to to do that, which I think is awesome, you know. So just like trying to find different games that you know help you. Like maybe you need creativity in your life, so find games that allow that. Maybe you need a game that. You know, you you don't want to be a violent person in real life, but you want to be violent in a video game. Like, go go find that game, you know? But I, I just think it's like a really nice, like, escape from reality. 100%. Uh, and this is why I wanted to have, uh, we wanted to have Adrian on the podcast today. And I want to give you space to continue with the rest of your research. But um, although Adrian's research is done with humans with autism, I think just like she's doing with us, it's so relatable to the general public. Um, and it sounds like, like I was thinking more of a quarantine mindset, but I think there's a much wider um, way that it can affect all of us and become healthy coping mechanisms. And yes, there are a lot of unhealthy things that can be involved with gaming. There's very toxic communities, there's addiction. Um, but I, I really thought it was interesting that although the World Health Organization last year uh, cited gaming addiction as extremely harmful. This year, uh, with COVID-19 and everything, they come out and said that it's a great way to be together with people while you're apart. They, in fact, started like a whole program called Together Apart. It's a hashtag, Blizzard's involved. Um, <laughs> and it's a, to be a healthy way to like be together when we can't be uh, physically together. So, yeah. I think that's great. And I think I think it really comes down to, you know, self-awareness as far as identifying where that fine line is for you. Like, you know, the amount of hours I would want to play and I feel is healthy for me is going to be different from what it is for Marley, what it is for Stephanie, what it is for Lindsay and what it is for the listener tuning in. You know, we all have different uh, capacities and timeframes of what what a healthy number of hours of video game play is and being self-aware of that. You know, I know a lot of times it's important to check in with your mood uh, throughout your video game play. You know, when you start out, you might be really excited. This is something that I heard from my interviews. People would get really excited and then, you know, they hit a point where they just get angry and they get angrier and angrier and angrier from the fact that they can't overcome whatever challenge it is. And that is the point where it might be a good idea for you to like push push pause or come back to it and identify like, okay, it's gotten to a point where my mental state has declined. This is no longer healthy for me right here in this moment. And I can come back to it fresh another time where it won't be detrimental to my mood. 
I had that exact thing happen to me just like a couple of days ago. Like I was revisiting this um, old game that I haven't played in a while. It's not old. It's just been a while since I've played it, but I started playing it and the controls are of course different. And I, yeah, Spider-Man. <laughs> and I was like, I was so, I was so frustrated with myself. Like, again, I was so excited. I'm like, I love Spider-Man. I love this game. And I get on and holy moly, I was sucking so bad and I was getting so frustrated I could only play for like 20 minutes and I was like I can't I can't do this so I just turned it off and then I like took like two days and then like finally I was like you know what I'm ready I'm okay now (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're all oh sorry go ahead I just want to say we all have like every human has needs like physical needs um emotional needs and leisure needs. So we need to make sure that we're, I mean, taking care of uh, all of our needs mm-hmm. um, as well as like the leisure, like that's not our, our most important. Our need. only need. No, <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that we can use to take care of ourselves as well. So mm-hmm. me and my roommate, um, Brian have like, a joke between us um and it's basically like when you were a kid and your parents come downstairs to yell at you for playing too many video games and they're like okay i know you've had fun i know it's you know i know you're having fun but you're you're yelling too loud kind of thing (laughs) but um we always kind of like that's kind of like how we'll communicate like okay this isn't you're not acting mentally healthy right now because you know, like you, maybe you've played too much or you need to refresh your mindset about playing. So be like, I know it's fun, but you're yelling or like, I know you've had fun, but it's time to turn (laughs) off the TV, you know, things like that. And I love having that kind of like code of like, okay, like don't get too involved, like mentally, you know, and don't get too soaked in. Like, just remember, like, you know, keep things it's in perspective. Game. <laughs> For sure. I would so never I have, say that. Oh. But <laughs> so I have two more motivation categories and then some satisfaction results. So I want to share that with you. Okay. So the third category for motivation includes its competence and mastery. So for people with autism, they play video games for a sense of achievement to improve their skills and abilities, as well as to feel a sense of mastery. I think we've talked a lot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's come up quite a bit. Yeah. And then the last category is social. So individuals with autism play video games um, to give them something to talk to other people about, Mm -hmm. to have a feeling of belonging and to build friendships. And I think that is a really key one specifically for people with autism because out in, you know, the real world, having conversations with other people is incredibly difficult or can be incredibly difficult. And having that sense of belonging, you know, many people have said that they never felt like they belonged until they found their online gaming community. Um, And that's really where they developed their most meaningful friendships. Out of the four women I interviewed in my qualitative study, three of them had found their boyfriends who they lived with via video games. I have a friend who met her husband, her current husband now through gaming. Um, I worked with her and so many people gave her shit. And I can understand some of the stigma with it, but they're also are happily married and 
<laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, mean is it, it that different? Out. Like, is it that it, different from finding somebody who at a sports game and being like, "Oh, we both have this thing in common. Let's continue to get to know each other." Like, well, and it's it, a different day and age too. Like, yeah. Why not use up all your resources to find the person that you want to be with forever? <laughs> um, I found, I, I just did like a little bit of research, nothing compared to um, Adrian's studies. But what I found through the internet <laughs> is that um, 70% of gamers say, report that they are playing with a friend, which I think is really interesting. I think we look at gaming sometimes as isolating. Um, or you're like, you're in your basement by yourself and with your headphones on and no one else. But a lot of us are playing with other people and playing with friends or getting on to be with other friends across the globe, which is very cool. Um, the average age of gamers is also 35, which I also thought was interesting because it is a way for adults who don't necessarily get the same type of, um, social interactions as kids through school get to have other types of social interactions. So that's great. So I want to share the the satisfaction findings and then just some implications of my findings. So as far as the leisure satisfaction measure, I found that individuals with autism play video games to help them feel relaxed, to relieve stress and to contribute to their emotional well-being, which is what we have talked about, you know, over the past few minutes. But I think it is really important to say, you know, I've presented this research at several different state conferences, and I can't tell you the number of people who come up to me and say, I have a child with autism or I have a grandchild with autism, and we take away their video games when you know, we're punishing them. And now I'm thinking that might not be the right way to handle it. And I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, by you taking away this, um, this leisure activity, you know, it's so much more to them. It is the way that they cope with stress. It's the way that they fill their cup up. So if you're taking that away, you're just essentially making the situation worse. So finding a way to compromise and may maybe make, um, you know, put, put our restrictions or something like that, where it's very clear to both the parent and the child that, you know, I understand this is a good thing for you, but at, at a point we have to cut it off and make sure that you're staying healthy. So I did want to talk very quickly about the implications. So the through my research, I found that individuals with autism who play video games frequently, which through my standards is more than 10 hours a week. They have increased satisfaction with social relationships and their communities. They have an increased sense of ide identity and an increased pride in their autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. And they have increased skill development and self-confidence. So if anyone, um, you know, is struggling with their, um, video game play and, and feeling like it's a waste of their time, or if someone, you know, is, has a family member who feels that way, maybe you can share this episode with them and they can get a better understanding of, you know, the more positive impacts that video game play can have in our lives. I love that. Me too. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
So that's it for me. <laughs> and I'm glad yeah. that we were able to kind of chat along the way. Um, so yeah, that's that's really what I found across three different studies. I really enjoyed doing it. I have a deep appreciation for people who do play video games, although I don't identify myself as a gamer. Love Donkey Kong Country 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> yes. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm really glad that I was able to come on the show. Do you guys have any like follow-up questions for me or anything like that? Um, I just want to say like I look up so much to you, Adrian. Like I I see you as so intellectual and so charismatic that I'm just really grateful you were able to um do this episode with us and you know i i've had a blast as well so yeah definitely i feel like i learned a lot i've yeah, been like I taking notes so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting because i do think there's so many stigmas around so many things but with gaming i think that there can be stigmas associated with it so it is nice to hear the positive benefits from it as well mm -hmm. um Lindsay, I really appreciated what you said. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to respond to you immediately, oh. but that that brought tears to my eyes. Thank oh, you're you. You're so sweet. <laughs> no, you are. You are. Thank you. That is, mm -hmm. oh, that makes me feel so good. No, Thank I you. really appreciate, like, our community that you've built. And, you know, I just, I don't know, I just really look up to you. So I'm, I'm glad that... I can pepper that into an episode. Oh my gosh. You're like making me but cry over I really here. I don't know if you can know. tell. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Oh, this was so freaking good. Well, you guys, uh, thanks for tuning in to our episode this week. I know it's not our typical episode where we review a specific video game, but this is something that we've been thinking about for a while, and it's something that we have discussed with our friend Adrian in the past, but it, it was awesome to hear a little bit more in depth and actually like have a discussion and take notes and learn things. Yeah, so <laughs> I think we're, we're all taking notes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I think this was really awesome. but. Um, you, you know, you can find cutscenes and cupcakes on our, um, our Instagram. We're on Twitter and Facebook. You can also email us cutscenes and cupcakes at gmail.com and you can find Adrian's info. Yeah. So you can, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Fempower Media. I have a female empowerment media network and my podcast, She's So Cool, falls under that. You can also visit my website at fempowermedia.com if you're interested in, you know, making any recommendations for future podcast episodes, you can contact me there. Um, and you can also shoot me an email at fempowermedianetwork at gmail.com. Thank Adrian. you so much for having me on the show. Adrian's mm -hmm. Instagram is so cute. I just have to say, she did an unboxing of succulents today. What? That was just the best thing ever. I, I need to go watch so that. Much. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> it was so fun. It was so fun. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Um, we can't wait to hear what you think. Until then, grab some friends. Eat some cupcakes. And play some video games. Bye. bye. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> I, I never know how to quite sign off. <laughs> That's great. That's so great. Love it. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.